Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We ask you to subscribe to our feed. New episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com. Click on podcast. You'll find all the fine NR podcasts, including National Review. Listen, enjoy, share. Please leave reviews as well so others can find the show. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I don't know. With every show guest a letdown, every podcast to bring down, it just gets you down, Scott. But, you know, that search for perfection, my own predilection, it goes on and on and on and on. You can find Jeff on Twitter, searching for perfection, at Esoteric CD. Just want you to know, Scott, you are my favorita. Uh, thank you. Our guest on this episode is a writer and community manager at the Illinois Policy Institute, a nonpartisan state-based think tank focused on fiscal policy and good government, IllinoisPolicy.org. You can find our guest at Vin, V-I-N underscore J-C on Twitter. He is Vincent Caruso. Vincent, thanks for joining us here on Political Beats. Hey, happy to be here, Scott. Thank you. And uh, if you did not pick it up from the little clue that Jeff dropped on you or did not look at the title of the episode before clicking, which maybe some people do, I don't know. Our band for this episode is Roxy Music. That is the one chosen by our guest, Vincent Caruso. Uh, before we get to the uh, the band, though, we ask Vincent to tell us about himself a little bit, his job, and how you kind of got into the political sphere. Vincent? Ah, okay. Interesting. Um, well, uh, I think like most people in think tank land, I just woke up one morning in my early 20s with a pounding headache, uh, sort of rolled off of my uh, floor mattress and shuffled to the computer, opened my email surrounded by a moat of uh, empty PBR cans and had a random um, email from a friend, actually, who... Uh, asked if I would be interested in a writing internship. She had a friend that worked at a Chicago-based sort of trendy design magazine, and uh, I did it because I didn't really have anything else going on, and uh, (laughs) I liked it a lot. I think I was very good at it. Um, But the magazine folded, so I quickly rebounded and started freelancing. Um, Did that for a couple years, just writing about, like, politics, technology, music, et cetera. Uh, Illinois Policy Institute, my current employer, landed on my um, radar just a couple years ago, I was sort of impressed with the work they were doing, and I just kind of stalked their website to see when an opportunity opened up, and uh, I took it, and that's where I'm still currently happily employed, have been since November 2017. And now we segue into our band, which I mentioned is Roxy Music. I jumped the gun there on the band intro. Oh, well. Uh, But we turn it back over to Vince to tell us uh, why you love Roxy Music, how you got into them, and, and why anyone else should care about this music that Roxy Music made. Uh, well, there's uh, two parts to this. So, um, sort of easy for me, a slight advantage is I had uh, Roxy Music as sort of part of my musical listening experience from a very young age, sort of before I was even aware of bands or music. Um, included on one of the mix CDs, that my, actually the only mix CD that my dad had uh, that he'd listened to uh, when he'd take the family on vacation was a mix <laughs> CD that included um, Roxy Music's Wilson Pickett cover uh, in the Midnight Hour. And um, I know that I'm kind of almost immediately forfeiting my credibility because that's nobody's introduction to Roxy Music. That <laughs> but but uh, um, yeah, so it, it's just one of the first songs that um, sort of I, I, I bred an intense familiarity with and, you know, memorized the lyrics to, would sing along to. 
Um, but I mean, even even at that, I was just sort of in the background as I was like a captive passenger on a vacation that I didn't want to be on. Uh, it wasn't until like years and years and years later, right, like became a conscious, you know, patron of Roxy music, a devotee, a loyalist of Roxy music. Um, and to my dad's credit, it also goes to him. Uh, one day, I think I must have been in like you know, probably sophomore year, junior year of high school, and he just randomly came home one day with a. Um, a DVD compilation of uh, the old grade whistle test. Are you guys yes. familiar with that? It was like a British show. It's fantastic. And yes. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. And um, they, it included a live performance of Do the Strand. Mm. And I watched that performance. I'm sure you guys have seen it on YouTube at this point. <laughs> um, and my fragile little 17 year old brain exploded with questions. Uh, this was a time in my life where I was basically listening to nothing but, you know, almost exclusively formulaic punk music. So, like, for the, fa- the fact that I didn't have, like, a name or a word for what I was looking at and what I was hearing that I couldn't categorize, like, that really, really intrigued me. My first question oh. when I saw that clip was, is why is Brian Eno playing an Atari 2600 joystick? <laughs> because yeah. if you look at him, that's what he's doing. He's like sitting yeah. in front of like a telephone switchboard playing a joystick. <laughs> to get these yeah, it's like it's, it's, he, he could be like one of those like secretaries in Mad Men or something like that. Um, <laughs> Connecting calls. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, and then, but that's, I mean, you, you mentioned Brian Eno, but like Brian Ferry, I just remember being hypnotized by not just his stage presence, but just his presence in general like sort of gesturing on stage at like a Xanax speed and just like staring like dead, deadpan into the camera. And basically I watched that episode, or not that episode, but that performance like three or four times in a row. And then I walked over to the computer in the corner of the room and I bought Do the Strand by Roxy Music for a dollar on the Apple Music store, so that's <laughs> what era this was. <laughs> and uh, so that, that's, what, that's what launched it. And uh, the, why you should care about Roxy Music? Well, you're about to find out by virtue of this conversation. Uh, that's a good for explanation. Me, for me, Roxy Music was like, again, this is like a lot of stories for me. It was a box set on the wall of my local Tower Records. It was an expensive import box set. The fact that it cost more than I could afford to pay for it made it all that much more intriguing. You know, you're, this is back in the late 90s. Your average box set cost like $55, something like that, which is amazing that the people will pay that much, you know, these days for four CDs. But this one was like 85 because it came from London or something like that. And of course, this is also when Tower Records was still a thing. Um, I had to have it. I had to have it. There was a beautiful 1920s era a blonde woman on the cover and then the name of it was called the thrill of it all and of course i recognize okay well this is most of their their great work and this is probably a good introduction to a band that i'd already heard about they were named me i i had another green world by brian eno at that point i knew that he had been a member of this band i guess i didn't know what i was i didn't know what to expect i had no conception of this group 
it's one of those examples, like kind of like when I bought Joy Division's uh, complete works box set, where I got it without ever hearing a note of the music beforehand. But I just took it on faith. I was like, this may be a terrible purchase. You know, I do sometimes regret spending all that money on that Doobie Brothers box set that I bought once <laughs> upon a time. But uh, but this one was worth it, and it paid off immensely. And the thing about Roxy is that the longer time goes on for me and the more that I ended up learning about music, not only the music of that era of, of you know the British early 70s uh, and the mid 70s, but also uh, the, the bands and artists that they ended up going on to influence, uh, mm -hmm. the more my appreciation for them has deepened immensely. about other music the more i love roxy even more and more even though i was just so completely taken aback you know the first the first song on the first disc of that album is remake remodel you know, it was the first song on the roxy music's debut um and then i went of course i went out and i got all the individual records themselves um and i found out that the stuff that wasn't on the box is oftentimes just as good as the stuff that was uh, and then i of course you know inevitably being the completest that i am you know I have everything by Roxy. I have, of course, everything by Eno as well. I have everything by Brian Ferry, for that matter, as a solo artist. Um, and I find this band to be one of the most uncategorizable groups mm. of its era. Mm -hmm. uh, they were pegged when they first came out as a glam rock group. This is part of the whole explosion of, of glam. Roxy... Roxy got together as an art school proposition. Brian Ferry was like, I think, a teacher, um, a former art school guy, but he was like a teacher at like some like girls' school of all things. Um, mm -hmm. And I, he puts an ad in the paper, you know, looking for like people to join him. He's a keyboardist. He plays piano. So who who comes in? Brian Eno, this bizarre gothic freak looking guy brian you know looks very normal and sedate and like you know like like a 60 year old balding man should these days i think he i think he's dropped the ostrich feathers <laughs> right exactly the giant ostrich feather outfit the makeup the long hair down to his like you know ankles practically um you know he was a total like very looked like nosferatu on stage uh, and then they got andy mckay playing not only saxophones but oboe 
he would do them both live, sometimes simultaneously. And then they got Phil Manzanera, who was not their original guitarist. Uh, their original guitarist was a guy called Davey O'List, which he, if you're a real prog rock nerd, you know Davey O'List because he was a member of a band called The Nice, which used to be like one of the early, you know, founding prog rock acts of the late 60s, early 70s. But he didn't work out with the band. And so they turned to their roadie. Uh, and said, hey, you know, can you fill in for us? And their roadie had secretly been learning to play all of their songs in his spare time. And that's how Phil Manzanera, who's one of the great guitarists of art rock yes. and prog rock of the 70s, found his way into the music scene. And then you have this band. <clears throat> you, have, you have other members that, you know, are sort of i guess i want to say they're more disposable but you know nobody talks about roxy music as if drumming phenomenon or about mm. the importance would you say with oh no i just he was you know paul thompson was a very good drummer that he was on a, the first couple of records but please continue yeah no he, he's a good drummer but you know this isn't a band that that, that you know has drum solos okay this isn't this isn't the who <laughs> right. with keith moon or this isn't bonzo on with zeppelin this is this is roxy music this is about the songs and the, the weird production of the songs and when they come right out of the gate they're classified as something like glam rock something mm -hmm. that goes in with david bowie and mark bolin and t-rex and you know gosh there are so many different kinds of glam rock there was moth the hoople but then there's also like dumb stuff like slade oh gosh <laughs> i was sunday i should talk about slade god they were a moronic hey, then, uh, i will come back and defend slade I got to defend them too. Some of that stuff is good, man. Um, and so, like, you have so many different varieties of quote unquote glam music or glam rock. And Roxy never quite fit that bill because all that day they dressed themselves outrageously on stage. You know, F Brian Ferry comes across in those early performances. Like, he's uh, sort of like a, a teddy boy, like a leather teddy boy, wearing leather jackets mm -hmm. with a big pompadour. You know, Andy McKay also has, like, you know, his hair is like, is like a mile high. And then, of course, you've got Brian Eno, as I said earlier, looking like Nosferatu on the other end. Phil Manzanera is wearing like these those those same fly glasses that Bono would make famous during his Octoon Baby era. Like they're obviously having an, an outrageous visual presentation, uh, but the music is art rock. <laughs> Roxy Music was never like King Crimson, although they were friends with Robert Fripp. Ferry apparently actually even auditioned to be King Crimson's lead singer. And Fripp said, mm -hmm. yeah, you know what? You're, you're, you're not right for us, but here's my card. Give me a call. When you put a band together, we'll help you get a record deal, which he did. And then Pete Sinfeld, also of King Crimson, is mm -hmm. the guy who ends up producing their first album. And right. so it's 1972, and they record this album on spec. And 
it's like nothing that anybody had ever really heard before. It doesn't sound like Soft Machine. It doesn't sound like King Crimson. It doesn't sound like David Bowie or T-Rex. It sounds like, well, I guess it sounds kind of like what it is, which is a bunch of art school guys get together and record um, some of the most eclectic and bizarre music that they can think of that you know has a lead singer who who seems like he's he's a bleeding sheep more often than he's a person actually singing music <laughs> uh great guitars incredibly bizarre keyboard sounds and the name of it is Roxy Music and and of course it has a glam model on the cover of it and this is the beginning of a band that was going to change so much over its life but I just think the first record leaves such an indelible mark, and it's just so weird and rickety and bizarre and and delightful compared to the rest of what they were going to do. I like this first album quite a bit, guys, and there are a couple of things. I, I don't have a long back story with Roxy Music. I, I knew a, a good number of their songs, but not all of them, and certainly didn't own all the albums. That's one of the joys of doing this show, Political Beats, is that have the opportunity to dig into bands that I probably should have some years ago. And so it is with Roxy Music that I probably am the uh, third most knowledgeable person on this podcast today about the band. But having done that, uh, there, are, there are a couple of things that I think are important to understanding, especially as we dig into this first album. Uh, one is that this band was, uh, was both, b- b- both past and future, right? I mean, there's so much, especially on this first album and, and on the second album, w- looking backwards, or, or, or I shouldn't say looking backwards, but but taking things from songs of the late 50s and, and early 60s. And at this point, this is 1972. It's not that long ago that they're incorporating some of those elements. But of course, they're future looking as well, uh, especially with Brian Eno's work on these first two albums. Uh, they're both of the past and of the future. They are both high art and low art, as you can see by, by, by some of the songs, as you can see by some of the, uh, the costumes worn on stage by various members. They're both. And uh, as I heard Brian Eno say, I'm sorry, not Brian Eno, Brian Ferry say in an interview, um, you know, someone asked him, you know, did you have any thought as to what the sound you wanted to be on the first album? And and Brian Ferry just said just that there was no limits. And that's clear from this debut album. There, There's all sorts of stuff uh, thrown at the wall. Most of it sticks. Um, you know, there's 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 hard guitar, there's piano melodies, there's oboe. As Jeff mentioned previously, uh, there's that 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 vocal styling of Brian Ferry, which uh, especially on remake remodel uh, is just you know template blueprint for you know David Byrne and Talking Heads. Uh, you know if you did not know uh, wh- who who did remake remodel when it first hits. You would think, well, that sounds a whole lot like David Byrne doing talking yeah, that, heads. Yeah, that whole like talk, 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 talk. Yeah, like talk, talk, talk yeah, myself yeah. to death. Absolutely, it's very David Byrne esque, and certainly Talking Heads were influenced by by Roxy music. But, I, I love how the lyrical hook on Remake Remodel is literally just the entire band shouting out a car's license plate. Yes, CPL nine five three eight. CPL nine five three eight. And apparently, it was a license plate of like like Brian Ferry saw like a really hot girl driving a car on the street. Yeah. And he was just like, I got to get that that girl's name. And so all he could do is remember the license plate number. And so he ends up in the song.
entire song is about a split second in time. Yeah, well, you're exactly right. Where he sees the a, a beautiful girl, and that's which is sort of the premise of a lot of Brian Ferry songs. But this is really the only <laughs> one that I think that he packs so much into like such a small sort of short narrative, and he gets so much out of it. I mean, just as the rest of the band members do. I think the reason why I like um, remake remodel is that. Um, and you guys may feel the same way about this, but it almost serves as an exhibition of each member's own unique uh, musical sure. talents. Yep. Uh, where right, you have, yeah, like, they have little solo spots at the end, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. I love that. And, like, Phil Manzanera just shreds endlessly. I don't think he played a single chord. Actually, you know, he, he, he solos with chords, but the entire song is just a single note lead. And then, you know, obviously, which is kind of interplaying with Brian Eno's, you know, VCS3 synthesizer that's just unleashing literal flurries of noise the entire time. Yeah, I love it when they give when they give Eno his little section at the end. Yeah, and it's just oh, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like, it's like just, a cat walking on a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> and I like. Uh, uh, wait, did we decide that it's McKay or McKay guys? I, I'm gonna go with McKay, but you know what? This is this is the one where the hardcore fans listening to the show will come in and correct us if we are wrong. We were arguing before the show began. Like we were like, "Has anybody know how to pronounce Andy McKay's last name? Is it McKay or is it McKay?" <laughs> These Scots, you know, they have their variant spellings. What can you do about it? So well, hopefully just, yeah, just we got it right, and if we don't forgive us. Right. Yes. And uh, as uh, the band Roxy Music. Approaches their music in a postmodernist way. We will too. Andy McKay's surname. So, <laughs> right. Um, he's great on this song too because, um, and I don't know if anybody had ever done this before him. Like you know, an oboe player, or a sax player, but like the way that he sort of bends his notes in and out of key in like a really deconstructionist way. Like that's one of the things that I, I love about this song and this band in their early days. Is these even Brian Eno aside, uh, Phil Manzanera and Andy McKay sort of using their conventional rock instruments in very unconventional ways, and yet, yet also these willing to use them in very conventional ways as well. And this is the yes. thing about Roxy music is that they're weird, but they're also trad. I yes. think Scott kind of yep. got at that point too. Yep. There's a trad aspect, and you know, one of my favorite songs on this album is um, the first half of this album is just epic. I think there's there's no flaws. It's perfect. Even, especially if you have the American version that sticks Virginia playing onto it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. one of my favorite songs is that is to HB, which is to Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. First mm-hmm. of all, a very, a very traditional, you know, male masculine theater, a movie idol to pay tribute to. You can just imagine Brian Ferry idolizing him, <laughs> modeling his, his entire shtick after the Humphrey Bogart kind of a thing. But there's that beautiful moment where, you know, uh, you know, Ferry sings, you know, here's looking at you kid, hard to forget. Here's looking at mm-hmm. you kid. And then, as he finishes the chorus, he says, you know, lingers forever, will fade away never. And then Annie McKay comes in and he duets with himself. He yes. dubs the sax and then on top of it, he's playing oboe. And it's this, this very beautiful floaty thing that isn't avant-garde. It isn't strange at all. It's like in this early rough-hewn period of Roxy music where it feels like they're assembling songs out of glue and, or staples, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre to hear that moment where there is nothing – like you know off-puttingly strange it's just like here's a great stolen moment of beauty here's looking at you kid celebrate yeah. here's looking at you
that's what I love about that first album. Now, I guess I'll say one other thing, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to you guys. Uh, my favorite song on this album, probably one of my five favorite Roxy songs of all time, is uh, If There Is Something. Yes. Which, by the way, one of the other things you've got to understand about Roxy Music is, yeah, they were art rockers. They were art schoolers. They were weirdos and freaks. But they also had a real sense of humor. Like, they were self consciously ridiculous and self-consciously funny and there's no better example of that than if there is something which first of all starts off almost as like country-ish steel low. guitar even i think yeah they even yeah they even got like I, I don't know if it's a pedal steel or if it's a you know an imitation of one but like you know phil manzanera is doing these like bends you know maybe yeah maybe it's a bottleneck slide or something like that um but there's that that great middle eight it develops this is like a seven and and a half minute long song so it starts off with this kind of like bouncy thing and then it goes into this long groove and you can feel the influence of someone like Eno like saying here listen to my can records Mr. Fairy I think that Scott hit the nail on the head when he was uh, when when he sort of characterized the band's aesthetic as like looking backwards, looking forwards. Um, I think that that is exhibited uh, most clearly on the first record, uh, on both Sea Breezes and Chance Meeting, um, where yeah, 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 where like you know obviously um, Two HB Humphrey Bogart is a is an homage to golden era Hollywood cinema, but I almost think that that same sort of idea is expressed musically on Sea Breezes and Chance Meeting, where you, you kind of have a cinematic influences in the sense where both songs kind of sound like they'd appear like after like a tragic conflict was introduced in like a musical on black and white film or something like that. The, the, and, the, the, um, Chance, Chance Meeting feels like it could be in an Ingmar Bergman film. Yeah, I've never thought I'd seen you again. And then you have these really spooky, like, you know, atonal guitar noises that come in from Manzanera at the yeah. end. And it's a very short song. Um, but what a beautiful little, like, I don't know, cameo. It just comes in out of nowhere, and it almost, it's like, it, it, it's its ghostly. It's like, was that a song? Or was that it just, is, like, it is. part it of a song? Of it seems like yesterday When I first saw you In your Thank you. 
the other cool thing about both of those songs too is they both like feature some of like the the um, uh, some of the most interesting moments where that just exist between Brian Ferry and Brian Eno, where like Ferry has, is just playing these somber piano phrases, and then Eno kind of sweeps in with like his own haunting sound effects. Like they like Eno and Ferry share very interesting moments that I love on both of those songs. I mean, just one last thought. I just want to get back to the ridiculous humor that you'll find on these first few albums, and of course, we'll talk about that when we get to For Your Pleasure. Um, but for me, I'll never, I'll never forget the first time I heard that that big climax on uh, "If There Is Something." Whereas, you know, I would do anything for you. Yes. I would climb mountains. You know, he talks about the fantasy we're going to have. Well, you know, I'll put roses around our door, sit in the garden. And what does he want to do? I'll be growing potatoes by the score. <laughs> what? And you just like, I, your neck snaps? What? <laughs> and then that starts that, playing the saxons. I, by, the song, by the time that song finishes, I feel like my nose is bleeding because it like starts off so lighthearted and then mm. it ends with him just sort of singing in this melodramatic anguish way. I was like, wait, I thought this was like a novelty song. The next thing you know, he's like, you know, the potatoes by the score. They do that a couple of times where, you know, Jeff's, I think, mentioned kind of putting songs together with glue and, and, and duct tape. But the, the, the sections really work well together. They, they, they go together seamlessly. If there is something is uh, at least a, you know, like a three-part song where, where you're going mm-hmm. from something to something else to something even more, but you don't really notice it as it's happening. It's very skillfully done. Uh, Would You Believe, I think, is kind of the, the same way, you know. Uh, the, the saxophone use and would you believe kind of wants to place it in that late 50s early 60s kind of beach boogie uh, era and that it, it does kind of move on to, to, to something else later on in the uh, in the song very good one too before we leave I, I, I'm sure this is just odd coincidence but I thought as I was listening back to it today on, on remake remodel that license plate CPL 593H as you compare not not compare but you know it's, it's a it's a it's a hot girl in a car Hot Girls and Cars reminds me of the Beach Boys, and She's Real Fine, My 409, has the same number of syllables as CPL 593H, which I thought was very odd and interesting. You're blowing my mind. I have another conspiracy theory like that that I'm going to bring up later. (laughs) All right, well, that takes us to the second album. This first album was put together before they even had a record deal. You know, they they, they turned it into Island Records, uh, and they, they, they got a deal, and then... 
the thing that they never expected to happen happened. They blew up. They actually became commercially successful. I think Ferry said, like, we just thought this was going to, like, you know, sell, a, like, you know, like a thousand copies or something like that. We, we play, like, clubs or something. But no, they ended up on top of the pops. They became huge. They just had struck at the right moment. So what happens next? They put out a single Virginia Plain. It's a good song, but, yeah, you know, I don't, you know, we don't need to talk about it too much. What's more important is that they put out their second album. And it's the last album with Brian Eno. Now, before I continue onwards, need to explain really the context of Brian Eno in this band. People, when I was, in fact, when I was young and I got Roxy Music, I thought, oh, this is the band Brian Eno was in. That's a mistake. It, Brian Eno never writes a single song for Roxy Music. Not once, not even a B-side. Brian Eno at that time said, like, I'm not even a musician. I'm just, um, you know, <laughs> a, like a technical advisor or something like that. Like, you yeah, know, you just make something. Right. He just makes funny noises, although he, treatments, he, he called them treatments, treatments. And, and you know, later on, it would, they would be given the fun name they called Inossification because I'm you know, <laughs> giving it the Eno sound. Um, but his influence on those first two albums is nevertheless really easy to hear in, in the way that like the instruments end up you know, getting echoed, dubbed, filtered, played through various like speakers and, you know, messed up with various sounds. Uh, but the truth is that this is Brian Ferry's band. He writes almost all of the songs. He, there's some co-writes that he does with Mackay, Manzanera, Eddie Jobson later. But this is Brian Ferry's baby. And I guess For Your Pleasure is fascinating because it's the moment where you actually hear Eno and Ferry pulling apart. And that e Ferry is clearly going in a, in a direction that goes a little bit away from the – the, you know the glamminess and then some more serious explorations i guess of sort of uh, romantic ennui and you know continental european sounds and spirits and then Eno is 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 really into just the weird noises and the weird sounds and you you see exactly where here come the warm jets is going to come from um uh but then you hear it on an album that i think a lot of people will say is the greatest Roxy music album of all time. Am I going to do that at the end of this show? I'm genuinely <laughs> split. I don't know. But there are so many fantastically weird moments on this and so many wonderful pop moments. Editions of You. There were no songs on this album that were released as singles, but Editions of You obviously should have been yes. the single. I, it's almost a every, single to remake, remodel. I, I every time I hear the opening keyboard that Ferry plays on Editions of You, I have to go back and hit it again. Like I literally will just need dun dun bum 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 bum. I have to hear that like six times in a row before I'm willing to let the rest of the song play on because it's that much of an earworm. Yeah. 
it, it also has that those wonderful, wonderful lyrics where he's like, I'm, I'm here looking at an old picture frame, just waiting for the perfect view. I hope something special will step into my life, another fine edition of you. And, you know, again, it has one of those transcendent moments from the early career of the band where you know they give Phil Manzanera a big guitar solo. You know, Annie McKay gets to blow his sax, and then Brian Eno comes in with one of the single most outrageous I don't know what you call it. Is it a keyboard solo? Is it a synthesizer solo? Or is it a squall of digital noise? But it somehow works within the context of the song. He fills up his eight bars perfectly, <laughs> and this thing just keeps clattering away like an old rickety car running down the highway. I love that song, and I think that song kind of epitomizes the strengths of this entire album. And that's really a fine, fine set of lyrics from Fairy on uh, editions of you. There are so many parts you could you could sort of highlight I, I, toward the end, uh, which is, you know, that... that uh, that sort of, I don't want to say, call it a character, but but that sort of ethos that Ferry was going for as, you know, the, the stylish front man that would eventually, you know, evolve a little bit through the years. But, you know, so love me, leave me, do what you will. Who knows what tomorrow might bring. Learn from your mistakes is my only advice, and stay cool is still the main rule uh, on editions of you. Um, so this album, I actually think it's a little overrated. Um and I know it's going to be sacrilegious to many, and especially the reason why, which is I think the first half stands up very well. It's the second half that loses a bit for me. And the Bogus Man, my friend, that's yeah, one of the greatest songs I ever did. Not one of my favorites. Um, the Bogus, yeah, it's also the closest they ever got to uh, Kraut Rock. It sounds like it could be a like a like a can song or something. I, I yeah, do, yeah, it does. It very much sounds like something like off of uh, Tago Mago. Like it's Tago Mago, that's right? Right, or you know, oh yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. Uh, I do kind of like. I agree for your pleasure. I was gonna, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Vince. I was gonna. I was gonna say that I agree with uh, Scott that the lyrics of uh, uh, editions of you are completely incredible and thrilling in every way, and um, that is the song that I alluded to in the previous segment where I was doing my Scott Bertram like uh, sleuthing <laughs> uh, over the lyrics, and um, I could be completely just you know cockeyed crazy about by uh, by this. So, so let me know. But the it, it, so in the opening phrases you have the lyric. Because sometimes you find me a yearning for the quiet life, the country air and all its joys. And then later you have, and I was drifting past the Lorelei. I heard those sleeky sirens well. Sirens, I mean. I mispronounced that. But is, 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 could he be prefiguring country, uh, country life and uh, sirens? Who knows? <laughs> you know, you know you, you, good point. He does seem to bring, and, and we've got to find the lyric that includes the word stranded in it somewhere. There's probably one I think of those. I well, oh, it's, it's, on, it's actually on street life. But. Okay. But I mean, I love that you were saying, Vince. Oh no, no, no! Please continue. I was just gonna make one more comment about the songs on this album, and it's just the, listen. It's the one that everyone knows. I don't know about you, but in every dream, home, a heartache is one of the yeah. greatest Rick rolls in music history, where you think you're listening to one song halfway through, and then. All of a sudden, you, you, you just sort of on autopilot. It's this very monochromatic, <laughs> very gloomy, gothic sound. It's like basically, it sounds like it could be a cure song. You know, in every dream home, a heartache. And he has this very dramatic voice. And every step I take takes me further from heaven. Is there a heaven? I'd like to think so. And he's like, oh gosh, this is like some sort of very, you know, gothic, you know, story about the emptiness of middle class or upper middle class life. In every dream home, a heartache. 
and every step I take takes me further from heaven. Is there a heaven? I'd like to think so. Standards of living. They're rising daily, but home, oh sweet home, it's only a saying. From bell push to faucet, in smart town apartment. Standards of living are rising daily, but you know there's unhappiness in the home, and then all of a sudden, in the second verse. You know, you're only halfway paying attention to the lyrics the first time you hear it, and then something happens. Then you say, I, I, I bought you mail order. And you're like, what? Uh, my plain wrapper, baby? Your skin is like vinyl? The perfect comparison? You float in my new pool, deluxe and delightful, and then by the time he gets to the line, inflatable doll, my role <laughs> is to serve you. You're like, wait a second, wait a second. This is a song about a guy who fell in love with this blow-up doll. And then right at the end, inflatable doll, lover ungrateful. <laughs> I blew up your body, but you blew my mind. And then, bam, all the <laughs> guitars come crashing in. And I think that the best thing ever written about this song comes from Robert Criscow, who says it's a song about a blow-up doll that's almost not stupid. <laughs> because i genuinely love it and i love the turn the uh you know the completely like left field wait this turn from like this very you know heartfelt discussion of the emptiness of suburban life to a guy who's like literally <laughs> banging the inflatable doll that's floating in his pool and at no point musically does it ever expect you to take it anything less than completely seriously. It's just the lyrics mm -hmm. that make it completely ridiculous once you get to the end and you realize that in every dream home there's a heartache. And the heartache in this case is the fact that the man has fallen in love with a plastic rubber. Immortal and life-size My breath is inside you I'll dress you up daily And keep you till death size Inflatable doll Lover ungrateful I blew up your body But you blew my mind I think 
at the way the music is set, though, I actually, and this is, you know, not the first time that, you know, Robert Crisco's criticism has made me feel self-conscious, but uh, the, I, I found the way that they, they, the sort of atmosphere that they set with the music, I kind of bought it. Like, pay, like I, I had the exact same uh, experience as you did listening to this. I remember my first time, it was kind of like, I bought you mail order. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. This is going to be like a, a metaphor for like the objectifying like a woman or something, <laughs> that it's like, that it's like my breath is inside you. I'll dress you up daily. It's like, whoa, what the hell just happened? Scott? Yeah, and um, I got to talk about uh, Do the Strand because I, I have no idea where I first heard that. I, 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 I've racked my brain because it's one of those that, that sticks with you, but I, I don't remember. I don't remember. What a great song. And, you know, it, it's, again, looking backwards but also forward, you know, going back to the, uh, you know, do the twist, do, do, do a dance, do the strand. Uh, but they don't tell you, of course, in the song how to do the strand. They just tell you all the cool people and other others who are already doing the dance. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to be cool and famous, you, you maybe would have already done it. Or at least you'd know how to do the strand. It, it's a great lead off to, to For Your Pleasure. There's a new sensation. Confidential is a song that uh, gets some you know treatment that I think does work well on, on side one. This incredibly slow build, like the smoldering, uh, waiting to uh, waiting to explode. You can hear uh, Manzanero's guitar in the last 30, 45 seconds, just like straining to get out to escape to play on Strictly Confidential. Uh, a very very good song, and I like Beauty Queen too on on, on side one, which is uh, uh, you know a slower song, vibrato vocals from Brian Ferry. He would very much be playing with and using all angles of his voice on these uh, on these early Roxy music albums. Uh, and Beauty Queen is a good one, too. That's where he actually sings. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, like he, could, yeah. he could actually like sing a straight take and, and make it come off really well. There's so many great lines on that song that stick with me, and I'm glad you brought it up. It's like there's one thing that we share is an ideal of beauty. I've had that in my mind since I was literally 1998. That, lo- that lyric is stuck with me. But also... <laughs> The uh, that last part, where it's you know, you know, our soul ships pass by, solo trips to the stars in the sky, gliding so far the eye cannot follow. Where do they go? We'll never know. And then you get then the, the tremors of the keyboard, which has been treated by Eno, and then then Manzanera comes in with these zoom zoom noises on his guitar, and then all of a sudden it turns into a rock number. Mm-hmm. But this just a great balance of dynamics and beauty, which you know. Doesn't means to me at least that that what they would be doing in subsequent years shouldn't come as a surprise because it was always there within them right from the start. While you worship the sun, summer lover of fun, go number with neighbor, 
inflections to sort of flourish like it really it's sort of like spotlight on brian ferry this song i even like had in my notes like like this i believe this is um you know on this song brian ferry felt he was in his natural element that kind of foreshadowed some of the more emotionally driven pop songs that he'd create later in his career I mean, I guess that takes us to the end of the Brian Eno era. They hey, they split up. You know, it's probably there's not room enough in this band for for two personalities this big and two creative geniuses this this I, forceful. I guess Ferry Ferry is said to have said, "There's only room for one non-musician in a band, and it was going to be him." <laughs> <laughs> because Ferry is actually a fairly competent pianist. He doesn't really ever give himself uh, much credit for it, but I like him as a, as a keyboardist. He comes up with some really interesting, not only just key you know, chord changes in constructions well, as a yeah, writer, I but mean, also the, as a performer. The, the interesting thing about uh, Brian Ferry as a musician is that he's self-taught, and um, so when he would write songs on piano, uh, he would write, he would uh, play chords without the middle note, which is the one that um, just determines whether a chord is in a major or a minor key. So that's sort of like, you know, I, it, that, I've theory, theorized, and I've seen other people theorize that that's what left so much sonic room for the, you know, for the band songs to exist in some sort of inexplic- inexplicable, chaotic kind of harmony way. And of course, what happens? Brian Eno departs, and uh, Brian Eno's own, you know, recognizance. He says this, and a lot of people believe this to be the case. That's the moment they put out their actual best album. <laughs> you know, it's like they, they, they got better after I left the band. The name of that album is Stranded, and this is 1973. For Your Pleasure was early 73, Stranded was late 73. Uh, this is a group that you can already tell that when Eno left, he took a little bit of the weirdness with him. You mm-hmm. don't have anything like those, those you know, endlessly echo-backed you know, keyboard and, and guitar notes that you hear on the end of For Your Pleasure, the title track. You, know? you don't have any of the weird you know, you know, noise synthesizer solos. Uh, you have some fairly crazy moments, including one that I think is the defining moment of Roxy Music's entire career. But all in all, this is a much straighter album in terms of its sonics and in terms of its songwriting. Uh, that doesn't mean in any way that it is a weaker album. This is the one where they actually became real commercial successes in Great Britain and in Europe. Never did a thing in America. I and mean, this is, this band was far too flippin' weird for the United States. We can all understand <laughs> that. But from Street Life all the way to Sunset, I have long believed this to be Roxy Music's greatest album. I uh, 
I've actually had a crisis when we were doing this show or I went back and I listened to another album that they're going to do later and I thought to myself, oh no, was I wrong all along and this one is actually the greatest album? But uh, you know, I'm going to have to go with my sentimental pick and say that you, you really can't do much better than to start with uh, Stranded. Uh, and you know, from, from Street Life onward, it's an easily explainable why. You know, when he's talking about, you know, Vassar girls and continental, continental style Strasse girls, uh, but you know exactly if it's wrong or right. It was an, education is an important key, yes, but good life's never won by degrees. It's such a great little poke at like all of the uh, the rich girls with their degrees who are like you know going off and trying to hang out with rock stars or the jet set in Europe. And this is the first truly jet set album of Roxy Music's career. This is when Brian Ferry starts to turn into, I guess. Brian Ferry, as we understand him to be, the sort of Euro-sophisticate continental guy. The white dinner suit. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. This is, by the way, the, mo- the era where, where Brian Ferry would perform on stage during their tours wearing you know, tux and tails, bow tie, yeah. you know, the, whole, the whole nine yards. And it, it, it worked. It seemed like it was right instead of ridiculous. One of the things that I think is so interesting about this uh, this record, and I mean, especially in the context of Brian Eno's departure, is Brian Eno, as you mentioned, Jeff, wasn't even a songwriter. The rivalry just makes no sense to me, but I mean, the reason why it existed in the first place is, I mean, we all know today that uh, rock journalists adore Brian Eno. Well, they did during the first couple uh, years of Roxy Music as well, and that drove Brian Ferry absolutely crazy. And stranded with uh, Brian Eno out of the mix... I don't know if you guys agree with this, but to me, this is a very sunny album. It's the brightest album that the band has yeah. released at this point. Where yeah. it, starts with, it starts with Street Life, and the way that Brian, Airy, Brian Ferry carries himself is, that, like, is as though a weight has been lifted off his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And also, there's still a lot of like musical diversity. Like Amazona is it very mm-hmm. kind of a bouncy, almost semi bluesy riff, like and um. I got I got to give their bass player credit. He never he never gets a name in most of these. I think it was John Porter for this album. They were changing them out album by album at this Gustafson point. Gustafson for this album. Who is it? John Gustafson. There you go. All right, you know, but it's a great little bouncy bass line and a, and a very kind of energetic song. Amazona. It's a there's one number on this record that isn't very sunny at all and that's the one i think that divides a lot of people which is a song for europe which yeah, I, love I really it. i love that song um yeah. i love you know, you know maybe the part where he goes into uh you know both you know, latin and like french at the end yeah <laughs> yeah 
you know, Jamais, Jamais. You know, and it's, he's always got a little bleedy, bleedy sound to his his vibrato when he sings it. But I do love that moment where uh, it just kicks off to the the piano. You know, after he's singing, you know, nothing is there for us to share but yesterday, and then it goes dum 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 boom. It's orchestral music coming an orchestral feel and an orchestral sound and an orchestral sweep out for Oxy. Also, Andy McKay's first co-writing credit, I think, was on yeah. Uh, yeah. "Song for Europe," yep. yeah. um, which is interesting too, because he was one of the he was one of the um, one of the bunch from like a, a very um, sort of subterranean art school background, and uh, he he was very much on the on the Brian Eno side of like the glam art rock spectrum. Like he was very much a deconstructionist, a postmodernist. You don't see any of that on "Song for Europe," but I mean, nonetheless, it is a beautiful sort of lovelorn epic that I think Brian Ferry pulls off wonderfully. <laughs> Cities may change, but there always remains my obsession. Through silk and waters, my gondola glides, and the bridge it sighs. Street Life, the song that kicks off the album, is one of their best, absolute best and uh, likely will be in my top five it's you know as uh as Vince was kind of saying it's kind of, I don't want to say the chains are off that's not what I want to say but but he's right I hadn't thought I mean th- this really is kind of a, a freeing album it, it sounds liberating. Little, yeah liberating and, and, and the band just really cooks on street life in a way that I don't think they had probably before um and they they have a new uh you know keyboardist uh uh, is it Ed Jobson? Um, Eddie Jobson. He wasn't just a keyboardist. He was also a violinist. Yeah. And he actually makes a lot of great contributions on violin for the next two albums as well. Played, uh, I think, Mellotron on Street Life. And the way Ferry is sort of speak singing over uh, Phil's five-note lick over and over. And those gruff Street Life in the chorus. Hey, good-looking boys, I literally woke up, and, and this is how sad my life is, woke up in the middle of the night last night with the thought in my head that maybe, <laughs> maybe Elvis Costello may have nicked that little sort of device for the, the chorus parts on Goon Squad when you have that sort of 
50s sci-fi gruff goon squad and street life uh but street life is just a fantastic fantastic song i like serenade i mean it's, it's uh, a shorter song it's less than three minutes something though to be said for a a breezy quick quality song again a really nice solo from phil manzanera on on serenade and uh even like Just Like You, what I like about Just Like You is the second verse, maybe, where the double track where Ferry is singing in, in his falsetto and baritone. Um, in, in, I guess it's more like a bridge-type part of the song, but it's really well thought out and, and well executed. It's an ambitious song, too, with that piano part, and uh, Just Like You is right near the start of the album. Very, very nice. I, I know Jeff wants to talk about uh, Mother of Pearl, of course, which oh, yes. is uh, right near the end. Very powerful song. I'll let him handle that. But this is, uh, I, I really like what Vince said about this album. It does feel liberating and a bit more free, and if that's due to the split with Eno, then so be it. But it, it works out very well. Mother of Pearl uh, is the greatest song that Roxy Music ever recorded, in my opinion. And my opinion, of course, is the Holy Writ of God. So I'm just telling you right now, this is the one. This is the this one is you need to hear. What were you going to say? With, uh, this is why it's great talking music with Jeff, is because his opinions are always the Holy Writ of God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I leave a lot of space for disagreement when I do it like that, right? <laughs> But but here's the problem with Mother of Pearl. It is the one song that if you have never heard Roxy music before and I say, oh, you know, you should listen to this band. They're really cool. Here, start with this one. Uh, they'll run away screaming <laughs> because the way this thing begins, it's a singular moment in their career. It begins with a squall of the most angry and aggressive guitar rock music you've ever heard. Uh, you know, played incredibly fast, probably the fastest that Roxy Music ever played. Phil Manzanera is just soloing his balls off. Uh, and then on top of it, of course, you have Brian Ferry. Uh, I, I, I use this phrase far too often when describing his voice, but there's just no other way you can avoid it. He's bleeding and babbling like a sheep that's being fed <laughs> through the meat grinder. <laughs> you know, like, turn the lights down. Lord. You know, he's actually bleeding like, here it comes, just coming around the corner. And then there's that great moment where he goes, no, 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 no. And you just don't know, what, what are you listening to? Is this a comedy track? Sometimes he baws like a sheep instead of does actual vibrato. Have you noticed that? Yes, yes, he actually does. He goes, bah. It, it, it's, it's clearly, obviously, a joke. It's funny, but, like, he's creating just pure chaos, sonic chaos. And it, this goes on for a full minute, a minute and, like, 15 seconds. Open the song. And you're thinking, well, this is just, like, this is their toss-off track. This is, ah, uh, we had to fill 41 minutes of album. We didn't have anything to do. So we, we, we wrote this crap. But no. 
That's actually not what was happening at all. The entire point of the song is to give you whiplash. You start with that, and all of a sudden it comes to a crashing end. Boom. And then the most beautiful ballad, piano ballad, sort of not like a slow ballad, but just an easy, gentle glide in their entire career starts up, very on the piano. Then you you have Manzanero with these little, like, ding, ding, like, like little moments in the end. And then Brian starts singing, Well, I've been up all night. Backing vocals go, Again? Party time wasting is too much fun. And of course, the legend of the song is that they laid the basic backing track for this song down in the studio. They didn't know what it was. It was just music at that time. And then the next day or the day after that, Ferry comes in and lays down all of these vocals in one take. And they're just sitting there slack-jawed because this is his ultimate meditation on whatever the Roxy music ethos is. You know, party time wasting is too much fun. Then I step back thinking of life's inner meaning and my latest fling. It's the same old story. All that love and glory is just a pantomime. If you're looking for love in a looking glass world, it's pretty hard to find. And then he goes into the chorus. And I just cannot emphasize to you how a completely brilliant lyric this is and B, how glorious his vocal delivery is and the way the band builds around it. There are so many little puns and jokes that are played on the song. So like, you know, you know, thus even Zarathustra and then in the background they go clap, clap. Or he talks about how all these women he knows, you know, people who in Canadian club love and you know other parts of the country. But then he says, but then you're my favorita. And then there's a Spanish castanet playing in the background. Um, it is just one of the most amazing and left field lyrical and musical accomplishments of the 70s i consider it one of the most important and interesting tracks of the entire 1970s i agree and it's you know you, you touched on it for a second the the, the transition from the, like the what's the first third of the song the part that's a little bit more fast paced and it has manzanera's snarling guitar riff uh, the way that it quickly disassembles and disintegrates and then reassembles into sort of what you described as a more, you know, sprightly piano pop song. I don't know how they pull that off. But they do it like it's the most natural thing in the world. It, it is, it's literally something that had to have been thought out in advance. It's clearly not recorded in two pieces. The segue is natural. You can hear them. They're all still playing their instruments. Yeah. So like, I have no idea how much rehearsal time must have gone into it. But it, it, it's just one of those moments where once you realize, sort of almost like it, with every dream home, a heartache, you felt like, ah, oh, you know, I, they played a trick on me. I thought this was going to be a serious kind of song. Oh, it's just about a stupid blow-up doll. This is that in reverse. Like, you thought this was going to be a ridiculous song, and it turns into something truly sublime. And I guess it's probably the reason why I've always liked Stranded more than every other Roxy Music album. Even if maybe now I can argue that there's another one that may be technically superior to it. No other Roxy Music album has Mother of Pearl, and I wouldn't trade this album for another girl. Well, I've been up all night again. Party time wasting is too much. Step back thinking of life's inner meaning and my latest fling. It's the same old story, all love and glory. It's a pantomime. If you're looking for love, 
into the the second part, the post-Eno era of uh, of Roxy music. Uh, Country Life comes next, a a title, uh, you know, perhaps previewed a a few albums earlier, as Vince pointed out. Uh, Country Life um, sort of continues a bit of the evolution, you know, away from uh, some of the more experimental and um, edging into more of the, um, I want to say, elegant or majestic angles of some of the music. I, I think Country Life, guys, is, is a really consistent album yeah. uh, from start to finish. Uh, I'm not sure if the highs are as high as what uh, comes before or after it album-wise, but it's really consistent. I don't know if there's a song that I really don't like on, on Country Life from, from the thrill of it all. Uh, again, uh, they, they do know how to pick these lead-off tracks, I'll tell you that much. Uh, I mean, the thrill of it all is just such a great... It's It's such a great title because... It, it's immediately obvious before you've even heard the song that it's meant ironically. Like, oh, there isn't really a th- the thrill is gone is what they might as well have been saying. And then it's it just it's a cynical use of the word. It's a cynical use of it all. Like, oh, the thrill of it all, but really, you know, like I, I, I'm empty inside. This is this is the album where you really start getting leaning into the Brian Ferry ennui in mm-hmm. a real way. And, and yet, and yet they play it. With a thrill, I mean, they, it's a, it's played a breakneck, exhilarating yeah. pace. The force you kind of hear in the in the drumming of, of Thompson. Um, it's just a really good good track. Oh, 
over on here. Uh, I, I saw three and nine. I thought they had written a song about the uh, the Chicago Bears around week 13 each season, but no, it's... Uh, <laughs> oh, bada-bing. Yes, I had that one planned. Thank you. Uh, but it, that's a, that's a, it's got a kind of a folksy feel to it. Harmonica touches. And uh, an early sax solo on three and nine kind of helps to, to paint the color of that song, which, uh, which I like. Uh, Out of the Blue... Um, uh, Manzanera had a co-write on that one, a real showcase for his guitar work, real heavily phased. Some interesting effects on on Abba the Blue. Uh, if it takes all night, harkens back to some of that kind of fifties and sixties sound that we heard on on uh, the first two albums. Very strong bass part, and uh, this is something that, of course, will be more uh, evident on maybe the next album, certainly the, the one after. You know, for a band that never had really a permanent bass player, it's kind of cycled through these guys album by album. They wrote a lot of very strong bass parts. Uh, oh, absolutely! And uh, if it takes all night, is 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 one of them. Not maybe not the best, but it is one of those that really has a very strong bass, uh, you know, bottom end to it. Um, a really good time uh, late on this album. I, I wrote it. It almost has a, a hint of ELO to it in the way that the string section sort of uh, sort of uh, uh, you know bridges some gaps in a really good time. And then Prairie Rose. Also, also it has a house that has that reprise aspect to it. Like right, right. It, it begins with the you know the three and nine riff. And then on a really good time, it's the same riff but played in this sort of dreary hungover essentially like the party's over the yes, night is over yes, yeah. and everybody's you know everyone's makeup is smeared and their their dresses are torn and it's time to go home <laughs> also no chorus in that song interestingly yeah i mean it just all it, it finally ends with it had me a really good time and you think that's the chorus and that's really no that just happens once it's a really really good song and, and a really kind of one of those ones that, that just flies by and does not have to linger too long you never bothered about anyone else you're well educated with no common sense but love that's one thing you really need Uh, yeah, which just, is not about Jerry Hall, although I always thought it was. No, they had not even met at this point, if my timeline is correct. But in uh, kind of an ode to, uh, to Texas, a real nice way, and uh, kind of a every now and then those, those country flourishes pop up in the Roxy music sound, and they do on, on Prairie Rose as well. Again, I would say it's not uh, it's not their best or my favorite. It's not going to end up in my final uh, two albums. We'll talk about at the end of the show, but a really consistent, consistent album. I mean, the only thing I'll add is that we didn't even mention the hit single from the record, which is All I Want Is You. That's a great song. I mean, that's, you know, that's as immediately, I think, the thrill of it all. If you put the thrill of it all on and you're not immediately gripped by it, then maybe this band is just not <laughs> for you. Because that, that, that is riveting. But I think also All I Want Is You is, is nearly as immediate a song, you know, uh, it's a simple lyric it's you know going out with all the other girls was always such a bore but since i fell in love with you i need you more and more simple stuff but i do love the way he talks about like i don't want one night stands he calls them cut price souvenirs just always a great line always a great little observational moment in the fairy lyric 
that you can get on these songs. Don't want to know about one night stands, cut price souvenirs. All I want is to be your thing and a night that lasts for years. Manzanera is just let loose on that to just shred as much as he wants. I have to just mention Bittersweet because I know nobody else probably will. (laughs) But I freaking love Bittersweet. Uh, I I believe it to be the song that gave birth to Nick Cave, actually. (laughs) Um, But it's one of those songs that uh, Roxy Music has a lot that are structured this way, where it sort of starts off very quiet, very unassuming. It's, you know, okay, you accept it as some sort of slow, moody dirge or what have you. Uh, this is such a sad affair. I've opened up my heart so many times, but now it's closed. Super melodramatic. And then out of nowhere, the section after the chorus, this huge marching downbeat where Ferry sings like some, like he's at some nightmare cabaret. And then, of course, when that part returns later in the song, he's singing in German, which makes it even more terrifying. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's like, I love that song because it sort of bo- uh, blends in like the, um, the morbidity of In Every Dream, Home a Heartache, which is another one of my favorite Roxy Music songs. But then, like, sort of the, the, you know, the sort of show tune vintage of a Strictly Confidential. Well, this is such a sad affair I've opened up my heart Oh, so many times But now it's closed Oh, my dear much as I agree with Scott that this is very consistent, it's sort of another step away from like the, the sort of more artistic mm-hmm. art school roots. Um, I actually see some reminiscent traces of For Your Pleasure in this and just some of the darker moments of the record. I also just really want to emphasize that the diversity of Roxy Music's sound, their music, the stuff that they try, the styles that they play, is something that, that doesn't get enough credit, and it's here through all of these albums. On this album alone, we've talked about, you know, Prairie Rose has country, you know, uh, country tinges to it. Bittersweet is like, yeah, it's, it's like cabaret. It's like, you know, weird, you know, you know interwar German goth, gothic <laughs> stuff. The thrill of it all is this 
pounding, pounding a European rock song. All I want you as you is, is glittery pop. Out of the blue is actually basically uh, an insistent acoustic guitar-based riff. Three and nine is as light and frothy as they get. You get so many different varieties of music on this album. They really stick to that brief of eclecticism. And the funny thing is that it all still sounds like Roxy music because mm-hmm. you have that unifying force of Brian theory singing it and singing about these these themes that keep coming up but the band had such versatility uh and it's a versatility they think they were going to lose when they when they broke up up and then when they reunited in the latter half of their career i guess this takes us to the last album uh what at, at that time at least was going to be the last album of Roxy Music's career, and that's Siren. This is 1975. This is the one with famously with Jerry Hall on the cover. Mm-hmm. Maybe their most famous album cover. I mean, Jerry Hall is definitely quite the looker. This is the first time she ever appeared as a model. This was her debut. Uh, she also was, I think, went on to be Brian Ferry's girlfriend, uh, which is a great way to meet girls, have them pose for your album covers. Uh, but of course, you know, <laughs> if, if you think that that's exploitative, then then you know, uh, you know, Jerry Hall had the last laugh because she ended up leaving Brian Ferry for Mick Jagger and got married to him. She traded up in terms of celebrity status. Um, but this is the one that opens with Love is the Drug and then it ends, as Vincent pointed out to us uh, when we were doing our pre-show notes, it ends with Just Another High. And uh, this is the one that I, when I first got into Roxy Music, I didn't like nearly mm. as much as the rest of them. I thought this isn't a very good album. I don't know why it, I, I thought that. I listen to this album now and I find it almost perplexing that I could have had a problem with Siren. I think maybe Love is the Drug had a bit of a disco vibe to it to me. It has a very dry production. It was different from sort of the the, the sweep of the, the thrill of it all or you know that wetness that you hear in something like Out of the Blue or All I Want is You. Love is the Drug is very dry, very crisp, very it's almost like you can you can feel the cocaine in that song. <laughs> um but uh I don't know why I didn't like this album because now I look at this album and I think that you can make an argument that technically it is the greatest Roxy music album of all time. And I'm making that argument. Um, I, I think Siren is their best. I, I really am, am blown away by how good uh, Siren is from start to finish. Not just uh, individual song by individual song, but also thematically in the way it takes a listener from from song one to uh to just another high. I, I think it all fits together really well. I love the production from, from Chris Thomas on, on Siren. You know, it starts with Love is the Drug, which might be one of the, I mean, certainly is one of the better known Roxy music songs. You guys were all, well, Jeff moved, uh, and, and Vince, you're a Chicago guy too. Uh, I'm a White Sox fan, though, so I rarely listen to Cubs broadcast. But when I did, it's one of the first times I think I was introduced to Love is the Drug because it was used as one of the bumps to come back from breaks during Cubs radio broadcasts on WGN. Uh, just a great groove that starts Love is the Drug. Those footsteps, your little bass, little sax, and then the engine roar, that that funky bass part that that Jeff was uh, alluding to. Yeah, a little disco. Now Rogers said it was uh, an inspiration for good times, at least uh, that the rhythm of that bass on Love is the Drug. And as Vince mentioned on, the, I think, the last album, uh, he was saying that this song has a chorus. Love is the Drug has a chorus too, and, and this is not necessarily a chorus kind of sing-along kind of band all the time, but they gave us one on Love is the Drug, which might be one of the reasons we kind of scraped the charts here in the U.S. Ain't no big thing The toll of the bell 
Love is the drug I'm looking for. But the rest of the album is really about kind of the, uh, uh, the, the, the side effects and the results of, uh, of that decadence of, of looking for love as your drug. You go through Sentimental Fool, right? Where uh, that's, I mean, the lyrics are exactly what the title would, would imply. Um, you know, someone who has, uh, who has, uh, who is looking back on, 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 a, on a love and someone who is kind of reminiscing about uh, what, what was in the past, um, just really builds into, uh, really quite a song effortlessly. Um, and, and this great coda toward the tail end of, of Sentimental Fool. She Sells is one of the very best songs on, on here. Um, it's got a really funky, almost electro-funk Billy Preston kind of, uh, piano to it in the, uh, in, in the middle section of, of Seashells. Uh, she Sells, uh, jobs in a, a <laughs> wait, wait, does, wait, does she sell yes. seashells by the seashore? That is my understanding of the situation. Perhaps her yes. name is Sally. <laughs> uh, Nightingale. Nightingale is fantastic. It's yeah. going to end up on one of my uh, one of my final five uh, songs at the end of this broadcast. Just explodes out of the speakers. It sounds so good, and uh, and, and again, an ode to a departed lover. This, uh, you know, the uh, the results of, of of living the love is the drug kind of lifestyle, and that 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 portion where you've got uh, Jobson on on the violin, just sawing on the violin, and you know, should I stay here or should I go? I couldn't bear to be alone. Was it really love I saw? Oh, now I'll never know. Should I stay here or should I go? I couldn't bear to be alone Or should really love thyself Oh, now I'm careful What is this I hear? Recognize that song Sleep late tonight with the game way that song ends is so beautiful as well and uh, i'll let you guys handle this in a second but you get to the very 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 end just another high and the lyrics of just another high when you compare it to love is the drug you've you've gone through this whole cycle with with brian ferry the narrator love is the drug i'm looking for you know out in the streets the engine roars to just another high where you hear you know, love was too hot to handle. I blew my cool and you, or I'm just another crazy guy playing uh, at love was another high, just another high, uh, sort of realizing, recognizing what, what all went into it. Individual song by song, 
it works as a as a as a as a statement as an album it works it's just a really fantastic fantastic 41 42 minutes of music from roxy music i agree that it's it's an incredibly underrated record and i personally underrated it as well first i heard it uh like you guys it was a grower for me um, I, it sounds like I might not have as high of, a, of an opinion as you guys do. I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it's the best. That said, there are things I really, really like about it, and I think one of them is, you know, uh, put it in the context. I don't want to jump ahead too, too fast here, but um, obviously the band breaks up after, after this album. They get back together, and when they do, Brian Ferry, he kind of drops all the art school pretenses, and um, you know, he wants to, to write pop hits. He wants to write what future generations will consider pop standards. And the, the tragedy about that is, I think he accomplishes that on this album at a couple moments. Uh, Sentimental Fool, for example, I actually used to think was a cover, because it sounds like a pop standard to me. Um, I, I feel the same way about Just Another High, as uh, Scott was just talking about. There are really, really strong, genuine, unbridled pop songs that are just purely pop songs that uh, it kind of, they, 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 they come before... Uh, the Brian, the period, Brian Ferry's period, where he's actually trying to craft that with that mission. Surely it came as no surprise. Love was too hard to handle. Well, I really blew my cool, and you, you just blew out. That the um, thing about Siren that has come to me that didn't immediately hit me may just be me getting older, which I suppose <laughs> is kind of a story about Roxy Music, especially when yeah. we get to the later part of their career. Like, uh, I get these lyrics more than I ever did before. Uh, I understand women and relationships and, you know, the ennui of nightlife and things like that a lot more at age 39 than I ever did when I was 18 years old because what the heck did I know about any of that back then so I look at a song like Both Ends Burning which is my pick for the best song on this album I like it even more than Love is the Drug I love everything about that it's it's obviously the you know the analogy that you're expecting it's like you know you're burning the candle at both ends mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know you're out there you know every night you know, dancing the night away, living only for today, but there's both ends burning while you're counting sheep. You know, who can sleep in the heat? You know, it, it's an amazing rock track, too. It, it, it's futuristic. And this is the point where I think, you know, you have to sit and observe uh, how much Roxy music ended up influencing people later on. You hear the seeds of, of all the new romantic music yep. of the early 1980s here, and then, then the, the stuff they're going to be doing afterwards. The, 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 you've got flying synths now. Uh, not the Eno-esque sort of noisy uh, atonal synths, but you've got these you know, soaring synthesizer lines. You've got drums that are being played, not in a disco beat, but sort of in a, an epic club beat. that You can hear this playing like on a club floor at some place, you know, at, at 3 a.m. at night. I love that song, and I love the the sweep of it, and it speaks to me of things that I just didn't understand when I was a kid. 
uh, in the way that I understand now. Please don't ever let me down For you know I'm not so sure Do I have the speed to carry on I'm burning back up my mind I you're a flame that never fades Jump away Again, they still have that eclecticism. End of the line has this like, almost like a Shokin farewell violin solo touch to it with Eddie Jobson playing these violin lines that, that seem very strange. Sentimental Fool, the first half of it is just this dark, weird, avant-garde noise piece that builds and builds and builds up until the lyric where, where it begins, you know, with, the, you know, again, a very kind of like a tough line. It's like, surely can't you be... You're not leading me on. If that's so, however, can I love again? How can I believe again? Um, they really understand their dynamics. They really understand everything. And in fact, the funny thing about it is that given the strength of this album, you would have thought that they could keep doing this forever. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's no diminution of quality from the Roxy music, from the debut album to this. Five records. You can argue for all five if you want. And yet this is the moment where Brian Ferry just said – you know what? I've had enough. They went out and they toured it. They released a live album, which is okay, but I don't really think anybody needs to spend a lot of time discussing Viva Roxy Music. Um, it's kind of good. I'll tell you one of the things I do like about Viva as a live album is that it, it's completely bizarre uh, choice of songs. They don't play – none of the hits that they've ever had are on that record. <laughs> it's just like Chance Meeting and The Bogus Man and you know, uh, you know, If There Is Something and In Every Dream Home A Heartache. I think the only concession they make to a song that you might have liked or heard is Do The Strand at the end. Um, but they go – Go dark for four years. They break up in 1975, and they aren't heard again until 1979. Now, in the meantime, Brian Ferry is, is still pursuing his own solo career, which is this weird, bizarre sidebar that I'm not no, I'm not sure how much we should really get into in a discussion of Roxy Music. But I did want to note that, like, if Roxy Music's lyrics are becoming increasingly this sort of long. Um, it's like almost like a Bildungsroman about one man's journey to the end of disillusionment with the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. Th- then uh, his solo career is an even weirder way of making that same journey almost exclusively through weird cover songs. He, his first album was called These Foolish Things in 1973. It was released around the same time as Pinups. And in fact, Ferry was pissed at David Bowie. He thought that Bowie had gotten advance word that, that, that Ferry was, was recording these, you know, an album of covers. And so he decided to beat him to the punch by releasing Pinups. But Brian Ferry had the last laugh because Pinups is one of the most, you know, awful albums of David Bowie's entire career. Whereas These Foolish Things is really weird. And it may not be to everyone's tastes, but if you ever wanted to hear Brian Ferry 
continental euro sophisticate singing a hard rains and gonna fall <laughs> man it works it works in in a way that both parodies and also pays tribute to the original song it's an interesting album the bride stripped bear is also an interesting album basically about him getting dumped by jerry hall for mick jagger these are albums that are composed of covers mostly very few original songs um but what happens is that he decides to get the band back together in 1979 so he gets Phil Manzanera, Annie McKay. I think I think uh, Thompson's actually back for the first record as well. Um, but those are the three core members of the group. And they record an album called Manifesto. And here's the strange thing. This new version of Roxy Music sounds a lot different from the older version of Roxy Music. Yep. This is dance music. Uh, for the most part, this is softer music. This is smoother music. This is music where a lot of the a lot of the rough edges and the weird parts have have been intentionally sanded away. And what you're left with is music that is actually you know quite pleasant to listen to, and you know has a good groove and it never really offends in any way. But I think a lot of people agree, except for the last record of their career, a lot of people will agree that these last, you know, this last year of Roxy Music isn't quite up to the same standards of the earlier band. I will say this much, though, that the title track of Manifesto is amazing. It may be one of my top five songs at the end of the show. Uh, it's, it's nothing like early Roxy. This is uh, European dance rock. It's disco. It's, it, it owes more to, you know, Kraftwerk and you know stuff that you would hear in, in a berlin club than it does to anything that roxy had been playing even even stuff that you hear on siren of that album is uh it's the first album of theirs that I, I feel like i don't have to really recommend to people outside of the title track i uh, have a quite low opinion of uh manifesto i also kind of find it deeply ironic the name of it manifesto because i mean <laughs> to me it's the, it's the album where brian ferry uh discards roxy music's founding manifesto like those interviews you can watch with him in 1972, where he'd say things like, you know, we're not a singles band, we're not a pop band, we're an experiment. And the sort of like art rock, art pop, you know, sort of strange angular landscape that they, they laid out at the beginning of the career, you know, I kind of feel like he, he, he tears that apart and throws it in the garbage on this song. I will say I agree with Jeff, though, wholeheartedly, that the title track, which is the, also the opening track, is a phenomenal song. 
Uh, it's sort of a tiptoe toward disco, if not a full lurch into it. Um, I think they kind of retain some of their some of their quirkier qualities, at least. Yeah, Brian, some of the weirdness. The, 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 the guitar line on that is, is definitely yeah. not. They did a remake of it uh, a year later that is much more popped up and, and is much more immediate, where you hear like the hit qualities of the song. But the version yeah. on the album, version on the album, it, it makes you earn it, and I do like that. I, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it all. In fact, I, I quite like it. Um, um, the bass line on it, that sort of epileptic bass line, um, like Scott was saying, like even though they could never really hold down a bassist for like I think the longest one lasted three years, they always really hit the jackpot with one. <laughs> right. The, in, this is the first time it really feels like instead of steering their own ship, they're letting the the tide take them a bit. And referring to something like trash, which I think was one of the singles from the album. Yeah. It just sounds like they're doing someone else's songs. It sounds it's bad. It's, it's really bad. It's, it's like uh, a bar- bargain bin dance rhythm or something. Yeah, it's like a very new wave uh, kind of yeah. feel. I, I think Train is, is, is pretty bad, actually. There's a song right after it called Angel Eyes, which is in the, in the same ballpark, but does a better job of kind of adopting some of those new wave tendencies and, not, and, not, and making it part of Roxy music. Um, I mean, ain't that so? It's just a four-four chugga chugga, you know, disco kind of rhythm, minimalist uh, I song. I like that one. It's, I it's, think that one not, gets across. Yeah, it's not terrible. Uh, Spin me round, which I think is the last song yeah. on the album, um, is good. I do like Spin me round. It has this kind of gospel chord progression and a very hushed tone to it that at least uh, uh, is not as I want to say produce, but it's not as 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 shiny as the rest of what they were attempting here. I, you know, if it was a a grasp for the charts or an attempt to sell or just an adoption of, it's been four years since they put on put out an album, uh, trying to use some of the more more modern uh, uh, techniques. Uh, you can hear that all over. Something like my little little girl too is not is is very of the time. Uh, Dance away, I think, was one of the singles too. Dance away does nothing. Uh, for me, uh, the- I, okay. I will say this much: that the version of "Dance Away" that is on the album is not good. It's not good at all. But the single version, which is a remake or yep. a remix, is much much better. It still wouldn't call it like you know essential Roxy music in any way. But does it you compensate can underst- for the uh, cringeworthy uh, lyrics in the chorus? "Dance Away the Heartache," "Dance Away the Tears." <laughs> I know, I know. You're almost <laughs> wondering, like, is there a joke here? Um, is, is, is this meant to be like an ironic really commentary on mindless, you know, dance music? <laughs> and you can just never be sure. You just can't be sure. It could have just been like, yeah, yeah, here's some product. I said it's love, you said all right. It's funny how I could never cry until tonight and you pass by. better <laughs> it got better on these last few albums it's 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 a, a slow ascent to the end but yeah no this this one is just not not that good nor what i say is the the next album this one i actually consider to be the worst roxy music album i don't hate it there are some parts of flesh and blood from 1980 
that, that I do like. I like the singles, in other words. I really like Oh Yeah. Over, like, you, over You is great, too. Over You is great. Love and No Strange Blood are also solid. But let me tell you this. You know, I, we did our covers episode a couple years ago, and I said that Husker Du's version of Eight Miles High is one of the greatest covers of all time. Um, the Roxy Music's cover of Eight Miles High, not so much. Um, mm. Their version of In the Midnight Hour, eh, not so much. Seems like bizarre inclusions on a record in kind of an indication that like okay well we only had eight original songs here <laughs> and so what do we do we did these these two like one of them you know it's wilson pickett right it's old soul song um it's not terrible their version of in the midnight hour they do at least make it really different and i like that i but, like it for that reason i think I, I mean there's two reasons why i think i like their cover of in the midnight hour and one i will just confess is just because you know, as I explained in the intro, it's just right. tethered to this sort of nostalgia, nostalgia factor. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, no, it's not a mind-blowing cover. I like it because it stays in its lane, though. You don't have Fairy trying to impersonate or outdo Pickett or anything like that. It sounds like, you know, Roxy, Miric, or, sorry, Roxy Music from this era doing a cover of Wilson Pickett as Roxy Music in this era. It's not, it's, it, it feels like it's, I know it's, it knows its place, which is obviously not a glowing endorsement. But I think at a base level, at a visceral level, it's enjoyable enough. I like it. I'm going to wait till the stars come out And see the twinkle in your eyes I'm going to wait till the midnight hour It's when my love begins to shine You're the only girl I know That Singles are decent, as you guys pointed out. So many of the originals just sound very limp here. Rain, 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 Running Wild, both of them just don't have much going for them. Uh, the other uh, original that I, I'll mention is Same Old Scene, which I, I like better than I thought I would because it starts with this like drum machine backing track, and you're kind of taken aback because I, I, I can't recall ever hearing that. I don't think it's ever showed up on a Roxy Music album before now. But the rest of it sort of sort of uh, becomes a, a decent song. It holds up all right as as a more experimental track on, on what essentially is a straight record. Um, yeah, there's a pretty good groove, the blasts of saxophone. Um, it's almost like a Euro dance track. It's, I don't know if that's the best description, but it's in that realm. I think it, 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 ends, up, uh, it ends up pretty well. Nothing less Oh, 
Flynn compared to the rest of the album. I think both those covers, by the way, are pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Pretty bad. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't fight you on that. So if you thought, but I will this say, was... I did. Oh, I did, yeah? did want to say though that I actually genuinely think that, like, between if if we're going to sort of uh, cordon these two albums off as its as their own era of Roxy music, I do think that next to uh, the song Manifesto Over You is actually a genuinely great like Over Jango You Pasta. Over You is a fantastic song, and as I said, I really also like No Strange Delight as well. But there's not a there's you put this album on, and, and you, I can guarantee you, you're not going to be offended. There's not. Think here, like you know, like farting noises or anything like that. That's gonna make you think, like, what has this band entirely lost the plot? It's just gonna sound like a lot of smooth glop. It's baby food. A lot of it goes yeah. down really, really smoothly without any any sort of uh, you know any ructions or any anything to to surprise you or or, or kick your ass or, or give you a left turn, which is kind of what Roxy had designed their entire aesthetic on earlier in their career, exactly. which is why it's a surprise and a disappointment. And by the way, if you thought that uh, this would be the most unexpected time for Roxy Music, of all people, to score their first and only number one hit single, well, then you thought right, because that is exactly what happens. Uh, unfortunately, what happened is that John Lennon was murdered um, you know, in December of uh, 1980. And the night he was murdered, Brian Ferry, you know, on the encore of the show they were playing that night, went out and played uh, Jealous Guy, which, of course, is a famous Lennon song. Uh, of course, you know, I'm sure he'd been playing it, you know, at home all his life because it's a classic piano tune. And uh, they ended up recording a version of it as a tribute to him in uh, early of 1981, March, I believe, of 1981. And it went to number one. It's their only number one hit single. Uh, it's not on any of their actual albums. I think you can only find it on compilations of the box set. And I did indicate to you folks in our early pregame stuff that you, you try to go out and hear this if you haven't heard it already. I wanted to know if you guys had any thoughts on, ironically enough, the only number one Roxy single of all time, which is a cover of someone else's song. I was feeling insecure You might not love me anymore I was shivering inside I was shivering inside I didn't mean to hurt you I'm sorry that I'm I actually, as bad as uh, as much as I don't like the covers on Flesh and Blood, I think they do a very good job with Jealous Guy. Actually, it's it's punchy in the right places. Um, it's a very tasteful guitar solo, tasteful sax solo. It definitely is of this era of Roxy Music's output. Um, but I think they do a really good job with it. Yeah, I guess I don't have any like super strong opinions on Jealous Guy. I think it's an interesting fixture in the Roxy Music catalog. Um, it's not one that I've spent too much time with. I kind of dismissed it early on, like when I first heard it. I just remember sort of some of the sweeping synth arrangements and the chorus kind of cheapening the song, which was, at the time was a song I, I the original version I liked a lot. Um, but yeah, I, this is this is one that I that almost never springs to mind. Whenever I, you know, I, as somebody who listens to a good deal of Roxy music, very rarely do I find myself inspired to listen to the cover of Jealous Guy. It sounds like I'm alone on that, though. You know, the interesting thing. About 
about that song and, and the sort of sonic textures of it is that you think to yourself, oh, this sounds so 80s. And then you realize, well, yeah. it, was, it actually formed the sound of the 80s because so many other bands. You, you know what? There was a band we, we did a show on, one of my favorite groups of all time, called Talk Talk. And I said, well, like, you know, like people have been trying to sound like later period Talk Talk forever. But one of the things that I didn't observe then, that I, I, I just didn't occur to me then, and I should have known uh, because it occurs to me now, is that Talk Talk was trying to sound like late period Roxy music when they <laughs> first started in a lot of ways, and in a no more obvious way than on their final album. Now, this is one that is interesting to me because it divides people very strongly. The critical reputation of Avalon, their 1982 final record, is very very strong it gets five star reviews it's regularly ranked in those top 500 albums of all time lists uh and there are people who out there who are like real roxy music fans who rank it as their best album or among them and then there are other people who hate it who don't like it at all it's divisive i think and i had this theory for a while i was talking about it on twitter just the other day because i believe it is the single most middle-aged album of all time <laughs> this is an album that is absolutely not for like children or for teenagers and it's not for old men or like you know boomers even it's for it's 30 a something yeah, it is. It, it, it's for it's for 30-somethings and 40-somethings who've got, like, a wife and a kid and a mortgage. <laughs> or, like, you know, or student loan debts that they're still paying off. It's the <laughs> middle-aged album where you're looking back. You're not quite to your midlife crisis, but you're getting there. It's mature. It's very soft and smooth and slow. There isn't a single... You know, chunky. There's, there's a lot of Phil Manzanera playing a lot of guitar on this record, but yep. none of the guitar he's playing is anything like, say, "All I Want Is You," or uh, you know, "If There Is Something." It's nothing like that. It's um, almost new age music. It almost sounds like it could be a, a precursor to Enya in some places, like on the <laughs> on like India or Terra. All right, but I have to say, I love this album. I love the music. I love the observational quality of Fairy's lyrics. This is when he has finally and fully and permanently transitioned to, you know, on Wee Man. Um, this is one of the most mentally and emotionally exhausted albums, but still sort of quietly persistent and hopeful records uh, that you'll ever hear. And I know it's not for everyone, but when I hear a song like More Than This, or in my favorite, actually, my favorite from the album is To Turn You On. Where he has just that great that great lyric where he says, if I could show you in a word, if I wanted to, a window on the world with a lovely view from close up inside a single room, with an open book aside like you read at school, it's so easy, believe me. And you know, he says, I I'll do anything to turn you on. I will do anything. It's almost like he's like, I don't know how to reach you. I don't know how to get to you, but I'm going to try as hard as I can because I want to get to you. These are these are adult problems. This is an adult yeah. album. This is not for kids. I would leave you as you were if I wanted to. But then I wonder, is it fair? Now you're wrong, you're wrong. Who cares about you? Except me, God help me. When things go wrong, I do. 
invalidate you know your opinions if you don't happen to like it i understand why this album is divisive it doesn't have any rough edges at all Mm -hmm. it it just slides across so easily that you don't even know 37 minutes have passed and you didn't even know you were listening to an album so i think that's probably why i dislike it i mean that and the fact that i you know have only surpassed my um third life crisis i haven't reached the the middle (laughs) midlife one yet um uh, but I'm actually very relieved to hear that this is a divisive album because I actually have always gotten the sense that I'm sort of standing on on um, uh, an island with uh, my you know my low I, I won't say low opinion because there's some genuinely beautiful songs on this album but I don't I don't I don't think it's anywhere near the top um, I think one of the difficult things for me and why I have a hard time talking about Avalon is because the reasons that the reasons the same reasons that it's so like beloved the sort of earthy soundscapes, the big production style, are the same exact things that I think are what are dulling the edges of what right. of Roxy music and what made their early albums so great and so singular. Yeah. Um, from a songwriting standpoint, I think for an album that's characterized by themes of, you know, adventure and things like that, I find it to be one of their most, just one of their least adventurous albums. Uh, that said, I think that More Than This is basically a perfect pop song. Um, Obviously, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't there for it. I wasn't there in the 80s. But, I mean, I, it's, that's the decade that I probably listen to mostly when it comes to my you know, personal musical preferences. And I think a good deal of pop music that followed this album owes a lot to more than this. And I, that's one of the Roxy music, uh, one of Roxy music songs that I listen to most. I think that the space between is completely aimless. I can't yeah. connect yeah. to that one at all. Yeah. Although I will say that I have sleepwalked on Ambien before, so I can kind of relate to it in that respect. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, like Avalon for me, that's like such a lush ballad. I mean, it's so far removed from Lady Tron <laughs> or yeah. Remake Remodel or Sea Breezes. Uh, yet there's just a lush beauty to a song like Avalon, the title track. Um, I agree. I agree. I, I love it. When the Samba takes you out of nowhere, when the background fading out there's the pictures changing every moment And your destination you don't know it I kind of think that actually uh, Avalon kind of sounds like some of the 80s songs that Brian Ferry would would soon become famous for uh, in the later 80s, like Slave to Love or something like that. I can hear I can hear early inklings of that on the song Avalon, I think. Right. It's not that I don't like it, but I don't find a lot to love about Avalon. And I find it even tougher to try to break this down 
song by song because it's it's like a soundscape, right? I mean, everything just sort of flows together and everything's produced in a very similar way with these tasteful sax solos and these keyboard washes and everything's very similar. So it's 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 hard to break it apart. That said, look, as as uh, as Vince said, more than this, it feels like the song that Brian Ferry had been trying to write for at least the past two albums and, and, totally. and got it just the way he wanted. Just this totally. gorgeous melody line, very tastefully done. Um, and it, it just feels like this is what this is the the culmination of of all he was trying to write in these last couple of albums. You know, since the since the band got back together, really. Outside of that, I mean, uh, yes, the space between is just is just aimless. Um, I kind of like "Take a Chance with Me." That that repeating guitar figure works works all right. I do too. Uh, to turn you on, which Jeff had mentioned, is all right. Um, I just don't find a lot to grab onto. Those rough edges that Jeff mentioned had all been sanded away, which doesn't leave much to, to grab onto. I, you know, I'll be the guy who disagrees with. The guys who are disagreeing with the general critical consensus. <laughs> I like this album a lot. I think there are at least six songs on it that I think are just absolutely excellent. More than this. I, I mean, yeah. Jeff, like, I mean, Andy McKay manages to sort of foreshadow careless whisper on the chorus of While My Heart Is Still Beating. That's as low as it gets for the Roxy Music. Dude, that's ex- I was about to get there. I was about to get there, Vince. Okay, so, so sorry, while my so heart sorry, is still so beating, no, that's still funny because you're exactly on the same wavelength that I am, which is that, <laughs> yes, okay, and here's the thing. I'm not going to lie. Maybe I just have a taste for cheese. I've always loved Careless Whisper. I am never <laughs> going to dance again. You know, these guilty feet have got no rhythm. But you're right, that smooth saxophone. Think about the way that McKay used to play sax and oboe right. and early Roxy. You know, like these weird squawks and trebles and like... And now think about what you hear on While My Heart Is Still Beating. It's think about Remake Remodel. Yeah, oh yeah, Remake Remodel. All of these, you know, the the aggressive honking. It's like he, he's like a goose honking in your face, you know? <laughs> like, like a very angry Canadian goose. And then on here... That's the same it, guy. It's, That's the it, same guy. It's the same guy. And now you have the careless whisper saxophone. But I have to say, it's a beautiful line and it's a beautiful song. Where's it all Run away now. 
while my heart's still beating, the main thing, take a chance with me to turn you on. I think those are all excellent songs. I even like that final instrumental. It's just a minute and 32 seconds, and you can say it goes nowhere, but I think it was a great way to end the album with Tara. I get it. I get why people say there's no there there. What is this thing? This sounds like it's elevator music, but you know, there's a craft and a subtlety to it. I will also point out this is one of the best produced on a technical level albums that I own. And it, and it's been a known fact for years. This is one of those albums that you used to go into, like you know, Circuit City or Radio Shack or Best Buy, and you know, you get the audiophile nerd who's working behind the desk, and you'd say, "I'd like to demo these speakers." And you know, they had a certain se- series of CDs that they put on, like Dark Side of the Moon, <laughs> a classic example of yeah. an audiophile CD. Well, Avalon is one of those. It's one of the most audiophile recordings you're ever going to hear. Now, is that a reason to listen to it if you don't like the quality of the music? No, it doesn't. But this is beautiful music, beautifully recorded. I grant that it's not for everyone, but I find it's a very fascinating place for Roxy Music's story to end. They would they tour the album, and you know they would every now and then there's you know, you know a reunion. They they've done a couple of tours. I think Eno even joined them for one, um, but they've never recorded any new albums since then. And this is the end of the line for Roxy, and it's fascinating when you think about the band that began with Virginia Plain and remake remodel and you know Chance Meeting ending with to take a chance with me or uh, Avalon or more than this they and by whilst also still retaining the same essential cast of characters yeah sure the drummer and the bassist would be changing uh, you know at certain intervals but it's still Brian Ferry Annie McKay Phil Manzanera that's still the core of the group and yet they they altered themselves so much over that course of time mm-hmm. um it's it's such a fascinating career progression and i have to say that maybe you guys don't agree with me but i love the way they began and i do love that the place they finally ended it they didn't end it with flesh and blood or manifesto thank god this isn't one of those embarrassing episodes where we have to talk about the later reunion album and we all say (laughs) "Ugh," you know don't want to say a word about it they ended with avalon which a lot of people consider to be a modern classic i'm in that group and i'm just got to recommend to people that first of all if you happen to be a fan of avalon and you haven't heard the rest of this music well get ready to get your socks knocked off because i guarantee you it's gonna be a lot weirder than you expect right if you happen to be a fan of the earlier stuff though try some of this later stuff out too you're gonna say vincent no i was gonna say you bring up an interesting point is i can totally see somebody starting at um you know the self-titled or for your pleasure stranded and sort of working their way toward avalon it's almost impossible to imagine somebody working their way backwards from avalon though right i mean you think about it yeah exactly you really you really love the main thing and then all of a sudden you're listening to uh i don't know strictly confidential or in every dream <laughs> home a heartache We're talking about blow-up dolls it's a it's a totally different band but it's still the same band and those are always the bands that i've appreciated the most and uh, there it is. They're Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, by the way. Uh, just, yeah. uh, I think, last year. And last year. Uh, it was Brian and uh, and Phil Manzanera and uh, and Andy. Those were the three that ended up playing uh, yeah. on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. That is the Political Beats look at Roxy Music. And we get to the point of the show where all of us, all three of us, give you two albums you should own and five songs you just have to hear from our featured band, Roxy Music. The guest always goes first. Uh, Vincent Caruso from Illinois yes. Policy Institute. Your two albums and your five songs. Oh, my God. First, I have to say, just I didn't 
I had no idea that this was going to cause me so much anguish, just having having to narrow it down to five songs. And oh, hey, you, hey, you heard... know what? Uh, I, as I like, it's it's M- Merry Christmas, Vince. Uh, <laughs> you can throw you can throw a sixth one on. That's my gift to you because I'm about to do it myself. Are you really? Okay. Yes. That might cause me even more anguish. So let's just get it started here. <laughs> Um, I am going to start. Is, uh, so when I'm recommending uh, Roxy music to people, I, I have a rule, and uh, that's if you can't handle them at their do the strand, you don't deserve them at their more than this. So I'm going to. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> so I'm going. So I'm going to start with do the strand. That's the kind. That's the one that sort of started it all for me. Um, definitely, uh, she sells. Fantastic song. Um, I don't think that that's you know too controversial of a pick. That's pretty objectively an amazing piece of music. She sells country and modern, ancient western song. Laughter, one of my favorite songs. I didn't have a chance to sneak in that opinion earlier, but in every dream home, a heartache is genuinely one of my favorite Roxy music songs. I genuinely find it disturbing. I find it perverted. I find it dark in a way that Brian Ferry really never returned to. So I have to, I have to pin that one in my top, I guess six now. Um, more than this, as I said, perfect pop song. I think a lot of '80s pop, uh, you know, owes this song credit. Um, I still listen to that song a good deal, usually walking home drunk from somewhere. Um, <laughs> and Editions uh, of You, uh, For Your Pleasure, just an undeniably great song. You know, they, 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 they always included a couple songs in the first couple records that had that, you know, that sort of revived that remake, remodel energy, and I think they really refined that on Editions of You. And then with my sixth bonus, since it's Christmas, Merry Christmas to me, I'll do uh, The Thrill of It All. All right. Uh... And, what, and what are your two albums? Oh, yeah, that's right. oh, I was hoping you, I was hoping you'd forget about that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my my two albums, and actually, this was not as hard, uh, even though I had to narrow it down to just two. I feel quite confidently that if you are going to get into Roxy music today or tomorrow, please start with "For Your Pleasure" and "Country Life." They're the two best. All right, so my two albums will start with uh, "Siren," which I acknowledged previously. I think is their best album and uh, the other one you know I kind of want to make sure that there's a flavor of, 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 of the career and it's hard to get everything in there because they, they were changing malleable through the years but I, I'm going to say that the, the, the debut uh, Roxy Music the self-titled debut should be one that you check out too to, to introduce yourself to the band uh, and on that note as we go to the five songs remake remodel the first track from that first album is on my list uh, Street Life uh, seashells, I did it again. She sells, and uh, and Nightingale, uh, both from Siren are on the list, and um, and the, and the last one I'll put on there is uh, the thrill of it all. Six and a half minutes of song that seems to go by in uh, in just the blink of an eye. It's just uh, fantastic. Jeff, to you. Um, 
You convinced me, Scott. I, I wasn't going to do this originally, but I have to actually agree with you that uh, uh, my two albums that I'll recommend, the first of them is Stranded, <clears throat> which I think is just uh, unbeatable and bright, and it's the first post-Brian Eno album. It's when Brian Ferry comes out of his shell, but the second one is going to be Siren. I don't actually have any songs from Siren that I put in my top five, well, top six at this point, uh, list, but that's not because you know I, I think less of them. It's just because I wanted to say, get the album itself, listen to the entire album. As for my songs, uh, the first one I'll mention is If There Is Something from yeah. the first Roxy Music debut album. I mean, this is a song that really can, gives you an idea of the, the weird eclecticist prog art rock ethos that they're going for. It starts off as one thing. It turns into this, this chugging train of something else entirely. And then, uh, then, you know, all of a sudden we're talking about growing potatoes by the score. Second one is Editions of You off of For Your Pleasure. As I said, I could listen to that opening keyboard series alone just endlessly on repeat and never get tired of it. But then you have the incredible lyrics, and then you have Brian Eno's ridiculous synthesizer solo. The third one is, in my opinion, the greatest Roxy music song of all time. It's Mother of Pearl. Mother of Pearl is everything that this band was great at to me this is everything roxy music was ever about this is everything that brian ferry was ever about this is the entire roxy music aesthetic distilled into one insane six and a half minute song and uh you know as, as you know as vince said it's like you know if you if you don't like do the strand roxy music you don't like more you don't deserve more than this roxy music well <laughs> if you can't get into mother of pearl uh, you don't deserve the rest of this music. And I recognize <laughs> that's a big ass because it's a weird song. Um, fourth song I'll mention is The Thrill of It All. We all mentioned this, I think. Yep. It's just yep. a fantastic song off of Country Life. And it, it opens with genuine thrill, even though it's a song about ennui and a song about the thrill being dead in his heart. Uh, the, the, the fury of the musical attack is something that will just transport you from the first five seconds. Um, the fourth song I'll mention is To Turn You On, uh, which I love from uh, Avalon. Uh, I just discussed why. This is a different kind of Roxy, uh, but it's a really good kind of Roxy. And then the final song I'll mention, my sixth bonus pick, is uh, Manifesto. It's not a great album, but it's a great song. It's a great song uh, with a sort of ironic inverted meaning because what he's singing is, is not any, any sort of political manifesto at all. It's the opposite. It, it's basically a bunch of meaningless uh, sloganeering. Uh, but it's it's a great piece of music, and it was the only song on their reunion album, their first reunion album, that really challenged me in any way, unlike the rest of that music. It's, it's the one that you need to hear from that record, and honestly, I don't know if you need to hear the rest of it.
There we go. It's Roxy Music here on Political Beats. We uh, thank our guests hey, for... Very, a very Roxy Christmas to everybody yes. out there. A Merry very Christmas. Roxy Christmas. Very fairy Christmas. As we somehow wrap up three, our third year of the program, which is very hard to believe. But Can't even believe it. They still let us do it. Uh, our thanks to our guest, uh, writer and community manager for Illinois Policy Institute, nonpartisan state-based think tank focused on fiscal policy and good government at illinoispolicy.org. You can find Vincent online at vin, V-I-N underscore J-C, Vincent Caruso. Thanks so much for joining us here on Political Beats. Thank you so much. It was very fun. Uh, Jeff, uh, Merry Christmas to you and the family. Have a great new year, and we'll kick back up again in uh, the new decade of 2020. Happy New Year to you. Can't believe it. We made it to the 2020s. We're going to live forever. At Esoteric CD on Twitter for Jeff. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. And please subscribe to our feed for new episodes Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go to nationalreview.com. And you can find all the uh, all the podcasts there from NR. Listen, enjoy, share. Please leave reviews as well. You can jump into and on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.